I'm Michael McMullen. Welcome once again to the World Snooker Tour podcast, where my guest this week is someone who, in his day, was one of the greatest players in the game and remains one of the most popular figures in snooker. It is the one and only Jimmy White. Jimmy, thanks very much for joining us. Hi, Michael. That's very kind of you. Uh, my days are still to come, I must tell you, straight oh, well, away. Oh, yes. I didn't say they weren't coming again. But you said, yeah. uh, you said uh, in his day. In his my day. days here. You're going to have many more days, No, I've, Jimmy. Got, I've got a plan, and I'll explain to you as we go on with this podcast. You won the World Amateur Championship in 1980 mm. and then turned professional pretty much straight after that. It was a very different scene in those days, wasn't it? Because at that time, the best amateurs were better than most of the pros. So you then became one of the best on the pro circuit almost immediately. We, we've been actually looking back. I've been, because I've been um, tinkering with techniques, I actually spoke to Steve Davis in the Masters and he informed me about something that I used to do which was wrong and... Um, which is very kind of him now because, you know, we get on very well now. You know, the red tops made us sort of enemies. But going back to the world amateurs, that was probably my one of my biggest mistakes in snooker because I won the English amateur. You had to win the English amateur to get professional or a couple of other tournaments. Woody Thorne and Steve Davis actually didn't win that title, but they got in through other avenues. But for me... When I won the World Amateur Championships, I went to Tasmania. Fantastic, I won the tournament. But I would have had, looking back now, I would have had two years at Sheffield. So Steve Davis had two years at Sheffield. He beat, um, he lost to Dennis Taylor and Alex Higgins, or Alex Higgins, Dennis Taylor, I'm not sure. So 1981, when he goes into the World Championships, he's had two years there, which I could have done if I didn't go and win the World Amateur, which nowadays you wouldn't, you wouldn't go, but in them days you wanted to win the World Amateur, it was mm. uh, something for your CV, but looking back a bit, it was a mistake, because in the first round of the 1981 World Championship, I was 6-3 down to Steve Davis in the first round, ended up losing 10-8, and obviously he went on to win it that year, and sort of, um, you know, dominated the 80s, so that was, looking back on Ironside, that was a mistake, because, you know, as you know yourself, the Crucible Theatre can be quite daunting, for the first time you're there. So looking back, that was a mistake, but I did win the, English, uh, did win the World Amateurs, so that was, that was that. And just a few months after that match against Steve at the Crucible, you started winning events, you won the Scottish Masters, you won a really big event at the Ulster Hall in Northern Ireland. So you were settling in very, very quickly. Did that surprise you just how quickly it was happening? Yeah, yes and no, and I also won one in India. Mm. Um, so I won, sort of, I won three tournaments in a few months, but... My game was, you know, as you know yourself, my game was so um, so full on attack, and with that u- unique cue action I had, a bit like Judge Trump has today, if he's timing them, can put anything. Same with me. I could be struggling in a match, play one good shot, and then be there to the end of the game. But when you have that sort of unusual technique, a lot of things can go wrong. But no, it was um, it was a so it was a different world there in that respect because um, with my open play it was very difficult to contain to keep winning especially like someone like Steve Davis who was so good at getting 50 in front putting a colour safe you know so he sort of invented that side of the game along with Reardon and Higgins Alex Higgins 
You mentioned Reardon and Higgins there, and you became part of a triangle with them in mm. 1982, Jimmy, just after turning 20. You went to the brink of being the youngest ever world finalist, and you would have played Reardon. But it was Higgins who beat you in the semi-final. And it's interesting what you're saying, that you weren't very experienced at the Crucible at that time. We know it was a very close finish. Had you had that bit more experience, might you have got through against Alex? Make no mistake. You know, what people don't realise about that match as well, that I was at one stage, I was 7-3 up. And he went for a brown into the yellow pocket. He missed it both so far, it went off four cushions and went in the green pocket. So he ended up clearing up there. Otherwise, I'd have been eight, eight three up, and I could have only ended up getting, I'd have been eight five or something. At the end of the session, it ended up only seven six to me because they played different amounts of frames. Yeah. So, you know, I'd have been, that was that part of the match. But listen, there was no one more pleased than me than when Alex Higgins won the 82 um, world final. You know, he was the first sportsman to bring a baby on to the uh, television. You know, everyone does it now at golf. You know, it was fantastic to see, and he was my hero. But, um, yeah, that if I'd have had my two years, which I should have done from 16, 17, 18, what, sorry, yeah, 17, 18, 19, definitely two years at... At mm. the Crucible, I'd have easily have won that match because I was all over him most of the time. But the clearance he'd done, there's, there's not, ne- there won't be another clearance like it because there were so many flamboyant shots in it. You know, only he could have pulled it off. You knew Alex as well as anyone yeah. in the game, Jimmy. But you were never blind to his faults. No. You seem, though, to be able to set all that aside. And yeah. people talk about the lifestyle that you had and the partying yeah. you did together. But there was much more than that to it. You had a very deep affection for him. Yeah, no, we travelled the world together, you know. And uh, one of the most enjoyable times I had with Alex Higgins is that we would go to a town. We'd find out from the local players which are the best tables. And we'd go and practice all day together, you know. And, um, you know, I, that was that was my greatest time with my hero. He wasn't... Higgins was very intelligent. He could do um, he could do a Times crossword in, like, 10 minutes. I've seen him do it. Wow. But then in, um, you know, even though he come from the jam part, now, he wasn't very streetwise. So, and I come from a belittled part of life. So, I, you know, I looked after him as well. I was a good friend of his. He could he could cause you, you know a lot of people tried to be his friend and he he would uh, he'd lose his temper a bit and as he got on later on in life you know through too much drinking that he um, you know he got he got a bit aggressive and he wasn't practicing so he was struggling and uh, it was horrible to see all the way through to the end but make no mistake Alex Higgins made the game popular. And this surely must be it. And Terry Griffiths fought so hard, made him wait for a long time. Jimmy White then takes that pink and becomes the youngest ever Benson Hedges Masters champion in 1984. You had started winning tournaments by then. The first real big standout event you won was the Masters in 1984. But really prior to that, it hadn't been this big major tournament that it became because that year 84 that was the first time it was on tv from day one it was the first time it was the top 16 kirk stevens had the maximum against you in the semis and you as a local lad won it so that really was the birth of the masters as we know it that year i I didn't know that you know i know you're a stats expert and obviously you you knew about that i didn't know that it was on telly 
I thought it would have been on telly since John Spence had won it. It, it would have been, but never from day one, not okay. the way it is now. Okay. That was the year it really became what it is. Cool. You know, the Masters um, was such an incredible... Um, at the conference centre, it was such an incredible atmosphere. I think you could at one stage get 3,000 people in there and you could everyone could see the table. So it was a unique venue. The Alley Pally is good now as well, but uh, the Masters will always be special. And obviously that kicked me off as... Um, Winning a major, yeah. You got to the World Championship final for the first time that year and gave Steve Davis a real battle. What everyone remembers, of course, is all those finals against yes. Stephen Hendry. You had four of those, and he was on here last week, in fact, talking about that and remembering yeah. them fondly. Yeah. It's easy for him to say, of course, because of the way they turned out. But do you look back, Jimmy, and think, yes, they didn't go the way you wanted to, but it's wonderful to have been part of a story, which certainly in Britain is such a part of the sporting fabric. Listen, I, I have, you know, because of my fan base, you know, a, a, a very good friend of mine said to me once, he said, listen, you touched the nation, even though you didn't win it or you haven't won it yet, you touched the nation. So I have great affection. And all of them finals, i say, if I can go back to the first one with Steve Davis, um, I was 12-4 down the first session. My tip was like a rock. And Jim Meadowcroft was the commentator. Mm. And I said to Jim, I knew he put tips on. I said, can you feel this tip? And he said to me, that tip is so bad, it's so hard. So I changed the tip after my night session. And this is something you could never do now. Me and Jim Meadowcroft played on the match table at, I don't know, probably half 12 at night for an hour. And the next day, I was 12-4 down with Steve Davis. The next day, I won 8-1 um, to go 13-11. Sorry, to go... I won 7-1 the first session. I won three games, and the fourth game he won, he was 50 behind with three reds left and cleared up to to win that frame. And then I won the last four, and I ended up losing 18-16. Very, like, you know... Fantastic match, but you know, uh, probably a bit of an experience there with a tip in them days. I would have, you'd have changed it now for sure. Going on to John Parrott, ninety-one, yeah. In ninety-one, um, if you look back at the first seven frames, he played absolutely incredible mm. snooker. If anything, I was a little bit confident that I was going to win that one. I got a little bit ahead of myself, and also in them seven frames, there's he. he he, I snookered him and he swerved round to hit a red and potted it and cleared up and another time he had a huge fluke so there's two frames so it could have been 5-2 you know but that's only because I've been reenacting them and looking back at these finals with Stephen Hendry um, in the four finals two I should have won one I twitched on the black at 17 each and the one that I definitely should have won I was 14-8 up and um I was a bit of a control freak in them days. I used to like to help people and I had all friends come along uh, and I was sorting out the hotels, and which I shouldn't have been doing. I should have let people get on with it, but I was a bit of a control freak. And I remember there was two guys who, um, who ended up there and they said they was gonna go on the floor when I won the world championship. And I had, might have been Ann Yates. Tournament director, yeah. Saying that, um, that can't happen. So where I should have been resting, I was doing all that and sorting out that they won't come on the stage. And um, I sort of run out of steam. But 
mate, and the two other finals he slaughtered me, um, 18-12. I think another one was 18-5. Mm. The one I was, when he beat me 18-5, I'd been on holiday. I wasn't in love with snooker at all at the time. And somehow I got my game together, but I knew I couldn't have beaten Hendry in the final because he was just too good. But they was... Um, Sort of the late 80s and early 90s is unfortunate where I always liked to drink, but I found cocaine, which kept me up drinking, and I was gambling, and I was doing all the all the wrong things. I didn't hurt anybody else, but, you know, I made it more or less impossible for myself to um, win. But at the same time, the way, looking back on not just the finals, some of the semi... The way I was living, you know, I was literally... I was on... I was on a roller coaster. I was like 200 miles an hour. So, you know, who knows? I might have, uh, I might not be sitting here talking to you if I'd have won it because there would have been, you know, the um, the craziness that was going on. Completing 10 frames. Capacity crowd here at the Crucible Theatre in Sheffield for this final as Stephen goes out in a blaze of glory he becomes the 1992 Embassy World Champion for a second time. And what a miraculous performance. Did you feel at the time, I'm going to regret this someday? And no. Did you want to stop yourself living that way? No, because I don't... Addiction's a very weird thing, you know. It's quite easy to get rid of uh, things once you're addicted. You go and have a few drinks or, you, you know, gambling's one. But the drugs, for me, just kept me up drinking. But... No, because you asked me that when I retire and I'll be able to give you an answer, but I've had this three-year plan put in place that I'm only into it for six months and um, I'm so far ahead of schedule. I've like, my plan was to sort of, um, you know, make sure um, I sort of get on the one-year list, get into the um, stay on tour. In my last eight matches, I've won seven and lost one. I lost to Ryan Day. And um, coming down the stairs, the second part of that, I would, you, know, you know, I got emotional, you know, just feeling how much the crowd... This was at the UK, the Barbican. Was the UK, yeah, it was at yeah. my side. And um, that sort of done me. And if I'd have won the first frame, I might have settled. But I've got new practice routines. I'm working with um, sort of not not sort of coaches to do with snooker but I've added all the different things to my game and um, I'm really playing really good stuff so um, you know I'm looking forward to it but we put it as a three year plan so at my age I shouldn't be playing I should be going around like Davis and Henry playing golf somewhere but I've chose to um, give it a go because I've always known that because I'm a natural player um if it was all working right, then I can, you know, I can play unbelievable. But the technique I had couldn't keep it going. There were certain parts of my technique that would always foul. And um, I didn't realise that until probably nine months ago. So we've worked all that out. And at the moment, I'm really, really enjoying it. So I don't have any regrets because I'm far from finished. It would be very easy for people to listen to that and say, oh, that's just you know a player trying to recapture former glories oh. and convince himself. But you're getting the results to back it up. So but clearly why, why it is working. I don't, I don't have to prove anything. Sure. I, don't, I, could, go, I could go tomorrow and um, I could still do the exhibition circuit. Mm. I could still do my Eurosport. 
I could still um, win all the senior events, but I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in competing with the players and looking at the form of everyone, you know, there's, there's um, no one's dominating, no one's completely outstanding. Okay, Mark Allen uh, is the man in form, but, um, you know, I don't think anyone's playing like the sort of standard that O'Sullivan was playing when he was winning his events, or even Stephen Hendry. Clearly, there's a lot of desire still there, Jimmy. Make no succeed. mistakes. And there always has been. And you spoke openly about how much it would have meant to you to win the World Championship back in that 1990s era. Was there maybe a case that at times you wanted it a bit too much and that got in your way? Not, not, not really, because I was, I was all over the place, you know. I, there was probably... Um, I'd say when Hendry was coming back at me when I was 14-8 up, and it went 14-10... Uh, 14-12 sorry and then I sort of like you know I sort of collapsed a bit you know but that can happen you see it happen all the time now in them days when you was in front most of the time you won so that was you know that was sickening that that summer was probably the worst one but I, I always knew um, and I still believe you know that my top game wins so I'm just focusing on obviously listen it, it's like it's a big ask for me to win the World Championship, but if I can um, get this game that I've got consistently uh, improving and my mental strength improving, I don't see why I can't do some real damage. You mentioned the 92 final there, Jimmy, but you turned things around brilliantly. You started the following season really, really well, mm. including winning the UK. And I remember you saying to me years ago that you regarded that as the best moment of your career, even ahead of the Masters. So why was that? Well, because we we always rated um, we, we rated the UK. I still do now as the second biggest tournament. I know so the longer matches in those days as well. Yeah, of course. especially seventeens, yeah. and um, that was you know for me to win that UK championship is still my biggest feat in snooker. And uh, I think I won the world match, but I think we spoke about before. Well, that had been a couple of years earlier. But okay. what you did do in 92 was you won four ranking events that year, right, okay. which was so hard to do at that time. Yeah. You had Henry in his prime. There weren't as many ranking events. You, yeah. you, that year, really, never mind that world final, overall, you were in the form of your life well, at that I time. You see, once again, you're such an expert, Michael. I didn't know that. I didn't know it was four. So I will mm -hmm. relive that. You won, you won the Grand Prix, you won the British Open, and you won in uh, Belgium that year as well as okay. the UK. Okay. But do you remember that era, Jimmy? Why were not you playing? Really, not really. You know, I, 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 there's one thing, you know, being in recovery is that you've got to be honest, and uh, I don't remember too much. You know, I sometimes I've been looking back at, because I'm looking at my technique, and, um, wow, I remember shots, you know, more than matches. So... Um, but no, it was a bit hazy, you know, it was it was a bit of like, um, you know, it was a bit too much of... See, if you're sort of out partying as well, it's when you do get beat, you have that to fall on and you sort of, you put the loss, gets sort of um, put to the side. But obviously, you have to face it. Like the, U the, the final of the World Championships, when I lost... 14-8, that hurt. That that was probably the only time I was, uh, you know, properly walking around, taking my dog for a walk in Oxshot Woods, thinking, like, what have I done there, you know? But the others, you know, what can you do? Are you a bit harsh on yourself about 92, Jimmy? Because Stephen Hendry played so well that final night. Did yeah. you do a lot wrong? Well, my preparation, you know, like, my preparation, you know, was shocking. I was, I was just... I outplayed him the first... 
day and a half because I was just playing better than him. But uh, in the night, he felt... See, Stephen Hendry, you know, great champion, but um, he had that sort of... He had probably, for me, um, he had that great way of going into his own zone. So, you know, the worse I got, the better he got. Let's do the quick fire round now, Jimmy. Yeah, favourite movie? Oh, favourite movie, uh, Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah, great film. Best holiday destination you've ever been to? Oh, um, oh, oh, oh. um I'd have to say Vegas. Favourite music? Um, the Who. Ideal way to spend a day off? Just with my grandkids. And the best you ever played in a match? Oh, that's to come, Michael. Oh, I like that. But until now? Uh, well, I would say... Um, oh, uh, oh dear. I say, um, I say in that session with Steve Davis from 12-4 down when I oh. won 7-1. 134. 100,000 pound for Jimmy White if he can knock the pink and black in. Jimmy White creates history at the Crucible Theatre. A magnificent 147. Tony Drago hugs him. Looking back at it all now, Jimmy, you're saying, I don't regret this because this happened, and I don't regret this because no, I look I, at it I this way. No, I'm not saying I don't regret it. There's not a lot I can do about it. Do you know what I mean? But that's so, what I'm saying. I, th- I think you're not someone who dwells on things. That's no, the point. And, no, and it's a good way to be that. Yeah, no, I have to be because, you know, if you ask me in five years' time when I stop playing... You know, I might have a, I might have a different attitude, and if, and I also must tell you as well, 15, 20 years ago, um, 50, say 20 years ago, I actually thought that I was gone completely then because mm-hmm. I wasn't playing any good, and uh, you know, I was quite big in weight and like everything was bad. You know, I was like, um, I got, you know, my life was all over the office, so it's all a bit, you know. I've had to turn my life around and myself around and my game is come back with me. So I'm really excited, but um, obviously, you know, I, I regret not preparing. Why are you so popular, Jimmy? What's been the key to that? It's not matched by anyone else in the game. Well, that's very nice of you. I think three things. I think um, one is I've always had time for everybody. I never, ever... Um, and I've never sort of knocked anyone back for an autograph or a picture. Two, I think um, I think it was um, I was graceful in defeat. I never sort of complained or moaned, and so. I think I touched the nation a bit there. Mm-hmm. There's a good friend of mine explained to me, which never got it before, but um, you know, because it was because you know there was only four channels in them days, and I think the last one is because of my style of play. Yeah. I've reined it in a bit, but I used to go for an awful lot of shots. So I think you find that people went on the roller coaster with me. Not just go for them, but get them at quite sometimes, a rate. Sometimes, yeah. sometimes. I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm more, you know, I've, and it, this is another thing I've done as well. I've never practiced safety in my life, and now it's a complete part of my routine. So. 
you get people in so many sports who have the tag of people's champion and crowd favourite and actually don't live up to it in yeah. the way they relate to the public. Now, you could not be more opposite. And I've been in your company, Jimmy, where you've been walking along a road and just everyone stops you. They want the photograph. They even just want to shake your hand. And you always deal with it so well. Does it become hard to do after 30, 40 years of it? Do you lose your patience a little? No, only with only you get the odd idiot. But 99% of people are fantastic, you know, and they really genuinely mean it. And you sometimes I, I might see an old boy come up to me and go, Jimmy, why? And then out his wallet, he would find a ticket that he'd kept, you know, from an, from an exhibition or something. So... That is always great. There was the only time, there was one time I did crack. I was, um, me and my wife were in a little chef on the motorway, and my three girls were, I think, three, four, and five, and my eldest was 12. And we're having breakfast, and this guy came over, and he just stuck his pen and paper on the table and never said nothing. Mm. So I picked the pen and paper up with my knife and fork and put it in my breakfast and started cutting it up. My eldest daughter remembers it to this day. And I just said to the guy, I said, look, A, can't you see I'm a bit busy? And B, how dare you not say please? But apart from that, people, the, the public have been really good with me. And listen, I've had a fantastic life. I've, I've, I've watched... I've watched the Rolling Stones make an album. You know, I've made the tea wow. for them. I've, like... <laughs> I've had the Rolling Stones play at my 50th birthday party. You know, I've got incredible friends all around the world, you know, and, um, you know, I, I, you know, you work with Eurosport as well. We're all like a big team. It's like, um, no, I, I'm really enjoying everything and um, I'm enjoying my game even more. And you still believe you can be a tournament winner, don't you? I actually know. I can be a tournament winner. So what's going to have to happen, Jimmy? What's going to make it happen? Well, That's I'm one have special to, I'm going to have to stay exactly what I'm doing and I'm going to have to, you know, not get too sort of wrapped up in it when it's happening, stay in the moment and um, keep improving, keep improving mentally, keep improving, um, you know, all parts of my game, the, the practice, the, um, you know, living properly, and, you know, enjoying competing. See, when your confidence goes, when you keep getting beat, you you know, you there's so many things, especially at my age, so many things go through your mind that, um, you know, I have tools now to deal with them, plus I know that my game's in shape. So when I get a chance, for example, my last match, I played um, Craig Stedman. Mm. The first two frames, he doesn't actually have a shot. The third frame, I'm on 43, and I'm going to myself, well, this is too easy, because I'm so used to it all going wrong lately, what, last few 10, 20 years. And um, I thought, well, what's going on? Anyway, I end up, I lose a positional shot. I miss one on 53. He clears up, um, misses the yellow. We play safe. I end up potting the yellow, clearing up, so I'm 3 them up. Now I'm back focused, right? Mm. How I was at the start. He then, I break the balls. He pots a fantastic long red. He misses on 58. I come to the table. I just knew I was clearing up. I haven't had that feeling for a long, long time. So, you know, you know, I regrouped. Where, you know, sometimes at my age, you can have these amazing thoughts when you're playing. You're like, um, 
did I water the plants before you left home? And then my other thought of my brain were going, well, that's irrelevant. You're actually in a match, you know. So I've had to, I've had to go full circle. And with the addiction gone, what, in control, you know, um, I'm sort of, I'm there, Michael, and I'm enjoying it. And listen, if I don't, if I don't um, win another tournament, it won't be for not trying. Golf's a more physical game than snooker, as you know. Well, it not if you've got a caddy, it's not. Well, Tom Watson mm. nearly won the Open at I've 59. You're 60. So I'm going to ask you the question. Do you still dream it could happen at the Crucible? Make no mistake, you know. I've got to, I've got to stay, I've got to stay, um, how can you say, feet on the ground, and then I've got to keep building up this confidence. Fred Davis was in his late 70s mm. when he stopped playing, Jimmy. Are you going to be going at that age? No, I'm stopping when I'm 65. Okay. I'm not playing no more after that. I'm, um, I would just, I would then go and play golf and um, probably still work for Eurosport because I really enjoy that. And... Um, Maybe manage a couple of young players. I don't know, but I probably would always still be involved in snooker. The kid who ran around London in the 70s playing snooker, the young man who thrilled the crowds in the 80s and played in all those famous world finals in the 90s, that kid has never gone away. The enthusiasm is still burning every bit as brightly now today, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I, but, but, you know, 20, 25 years ago, I sort of... You, you sort of like I might have like the horse has done it had its race but um, I always knew my game was there in bits and pieces because you know I'd still make maximum but now it's there all parts of the game is there it's just about um, staying calm that kid from the 70s I talk to him every day I've got pictures of me winning the Mercantile credit, my first ever tournament. Took me forever to win a tournament. Because well, to win a ranking event, a ranking yeah. Event, that was sorry. 86, yeah. It took me forever because of my open play. But um, no, you know, I um, you know, I've gone back, completely gone full back. You know, I've never watched matches. You know, I've watched painful misses. I've watched great shots. And uh, I'm all right with it now. So onwards and upwards. You talk to that kid from the 70s every day, you say, Jimmy? I talk to that kid every day saying, you're not done yet. Well, it's been great talking to that kid from the 70s. Still here in the 2020s today, Jimmy. And I know I speak for everyone that there would be such excitement if you could have one last big moment. And we wish you the very, very best with it. Thank you so much. Michael. Thank you very much. The whirlwind of London town, Jimmy White. (laughs) 